Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 74. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. It means a lot to me. Before we get started on the, the interview, I'd like to pass along some of the services that I can provide you and your organization. You know, leadership is the difference maker and the deal breaker. You know how I feel about it if you're a regular listener on the show. I recently became a John Maxwell certified coach, teacher, and speaker. And with that, I can offer you workshops, seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching, helping you both personally and professionally through growth, through study, and practical application of John Maxwell's proven leadership methods. You know, I got over 25 years real-world practical leadership experience as a U.S. Marine Corps officer, professional pilot, a corporate executive at the VP and director level, and you know I'm passionate about leadership, and you know that I believe it's central to every aspect of our lives and that all our leadership challenges should be met with that lifelong dedication and pursuit of becoming calmer, confident, consistent, and courageous. So I'm looking forward to working together through accountability with you. To learn more, go to doseofleadership.com, click on the speaking and coaching menu item, and I look forward to hearing from you. Again, thanks for tuning into the show. Now here's the interview. Well, I'm excited about this next interview. It came up really quick, but I'm, I'm thrilled to finally have him on the show. It's Manish Goyal. He's the co-founder of Live in the Gray, and his career has him taken from a master's in public health from Yale to becoming Pete Eddy's event planner, I'd love to hear about that, to a trusted agency partner of some of the world's biggest brands, MKG, the eponymous agency Manish started 10 years ago, has grown significantly from one employee to a thriving bi-coastal 50-person operation. Earlier this year, Manish launched Live in the Gray. It's a new online resource and community to help people become more holistically successful as individuals and within organizations. It's a passion project for Manish. He's centered on the philosophy born out of his own journey of blending professional and personal interests into a fulfilling career. Manish, welcome to the Dose of Leadership. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's nice to have this opportunity to talk with you. Like I said, I was excited about this when I learned more about your background. I know it kind of came quick and dirty and I had to learn a lot about you. I hadn't heard about you, but when I found out your amazing journey and your story, I was just so intrigued and so excited to get to get to on the phone to talk with you. So tell us a little bit about your personal journey, how you got started and to where you're at today. Sure. Um, you know, I'll take you back to the very beginning, but I'll go pretty quick. Uh, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, um, and I went to college in North Carolina and wasn't really sure what I was going to do, and so I, I decided to go to grad school and do a master's in public health. I like building communities, and so I, I did a master's in public health with a focus actually in maternal and child health, and I moved to New York City after after that graduate degree and, and, and got a job in nonprofits, and it felt like a it felt, you know, it felt interesting to me to, to be able to, A, have my first real job, but also, B, to be in the space of building community. And I really do like this idea of helping others and, and having, having altruism into my life added as an element into my life. But ultimately, after two years of doing that, it was very interesting. And it was not even, I mean, the, the, the Sunday Night Blues started pretty shortly thereafter. And I started to kind of realize that, you know, this whole idea of helping others is great, but perhaps I need to help myself first and I need to kind of recognize, well, what can I do in terms of a career and a fulfilling career first for myself? And so through that, I 
um, I, I realized that, you know, maybe I was in the wrong industry. And I ultimately then decided, and this all took place in 2001, and I ultimately decided at that point that I need to, I, I have to change something up. But it, it takes, it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of gumption, if you will, to, to really, to do that. And I don't know that I had it within me at that time. And so I started looking for other jobs in the same industry, just thinking maybe changing the job would help or changing the, the environment or the scenery might help. But ultimately, it became pretty clear that, and, and the people across the table interviewing me for the job, despite my good credentials, where I felt like were decent credentials, they, no one was buying it, and I couldn't find the job. And that's when I decided to really, to really identify my passion points and identify well what what doesn't feel like work and, and mm. what really makes me smile. And I was I was really fueled by this idea. You know, I think in the previous generation, so in my parents' generation, my parents were immigrants into this country. But, you know, I grew up in a, in a, went to a large public high school in the suburbs of Dallas. And I think there was a large differentiation between work and life. Um, you know, my friend's parents, they all had, in my mind too, they had a job. And then the job would, would, would kind of click off and then they would have a life. And their life would be executed on their nights, on their weekends, certainly on vacation times. But the two weren't necessarily connected. And I started to recognize that to be successful and for me to be successful personally, and I think the way that the, the world was moving, the economy was moving, is that, that there couldn't really be a distinction necessarily between work and life because we're always connect, we're all connected. And for us to really be passionate about our work, we have to integrate it into our life. And so I tried to figure out ways that I could do just that. And that's where I ultimately decided and recognized that I love the business of events and, and event marketing and ultimately, you know, really throwing, working with brands to figure out how to change consumer behavior through experiences and through human connection. And so I decided to dive into an industry that was very nascent, but uh, in which I had no background. Um, and I, you know, went kind of head first into it. And um, ultimately, you know, it, it's, it's a testament to living your passion is a success that has unfolded over the past 10 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were yeah. kind enough to mention that, you know, now we've got offices on both coasts. I've got 60 full-time salaried employees in a, in a payroll of over 200 people in terms of contractors and freelancers and, and others that come through the agency. And MKG, which is the name of the agency, eponymous, as you mentioned, it's are my initial. It just happens as a funny funny aside. It, it happens that my parents probably might have some prominence and they gave me initials that look a lot like the word marketing. So people <laughs> actually don't even yeah, know. Great, yeah. and I, they sometimes they sometimes don't even know that they're my initials because I'm the president and founder of the company. Um, but so MKG is now an agency that is based in New York City with offices in Los Angeles and we're expanding. Um, um, we'll be expanding this year to uh, um, another potentially two, so one other domestic market. So, and we work with brands ranging from Google, Delta Airlines. Uh, we work very closely with Estee Lauder companies, with Ralph Lauren, with MTV and Viacom Networks, so very large brands on executing the marketing um, platforms and the marketing programs, and, but we do it through a means of connecting to consumers through experiences of events. Um, and so it's been pretty exciting to see the build and the growth of this company now that I am really doing what I feel like I should be doing and what the industry that I should be in. But the other, you know, the last thing I'll say um, is that I feel most proud of this idea of having built a culture within the company because it's not a cult of personality at my company. I mean, you know, my initials might be on the door, but really there's a culture within the walls of NKG that really allow people to be empowered and inspired. And so I feel like, you know, my, my job at this point 
as the company has grown, and I'm not so client fiction anymore. My, my job at this point is to create a really spectacular environment for the people that work for me. I love what you said. A couple nuggets there. I mean, there's so many questions I have for you, but to, but to, to, to glam onto the last thing you just said there, and I think is especially when, and maybe it comes with the space that I'm in and the territory when we talk about leadership, there is, it seems like I'm maybe battling is not the right word, but I'll use it for, for the sake of argument. I'm battling um, this perception when we talk about leadership. People are still wrapped around the axle about, look, it's all about this kind of command and control structure. I certainly get that from people pers- assume that of me because I came from the Marine Corps, and that's the exact opposite. And the, you know, the Marine Corps was all about creativity, right. pushing leadership down to the lowest level, pushing decision-making down to the lowest level. And I love what you said there about empowerment and creating a culture where um, everyone's tapped into the purpose. That is at the, the key and the heart of all successful leadership, in my opinion. So I don't know if you're consciously aware that you're creating a culture of leadership or if it's just uh, it's just you're, you're trying to create, uh, I don't know, something different in your mind. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, a, it's powerful insight, especially given your background in the Marine Corps. But in my, I, I'm with you, I guess. I'm with you 100%. I really feel that this is, the way to be successful. I would say in our current day landscape, in the current day economy, people, I think because we're also socially connected to each other through mm-hmm. um, social media, there's just an understanding that there are better places out there. And if, if we're not treating people well, you know, retention can be very high. I mean, it can be very hard, even in, in scary, you know, even in, even in tough economic times, it's not just about bodies in the seats within the walls of your company. It's about the right bodies in your seat. Right. And I think if we find the right bodies, we've got to keep them there and we've got to find, you know, empower them. I mean, or encourage them to be there. And the one way that can happen is that people need to be allowed to, 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 to be free, if you will. And they want to, you know, just the way, if you can imagine, if you were, you know, a, a 40-year-old um, person and you were being treated as a, you know, at home in your personal time, if you're being, you know, micromanaged by your father or a parent or, you know, as if you were an eight-year-old kid, that it, it, was, it doesn't work and, 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 and there would be a breakdown in the family structure in a similar way. If I were to come to my employees and irrespective of their age, but, you know, not allow them to be part of the decision-making process and not give them the freedom to sometimes stumble, but most oftentimes, you know, really shine then I don't, I don't know that I would actually be creating the environment that would have brought upon the success that I've seen. I mean, candidly, we're working, you know, the U.S. Open, uh, you know, the USTA, the United States Tennis Association, um, the Open, U.S. Open is in a few weeks. We are handling Heineken. Heineken is one of the presenting sponsors of the U.S. Open. We're handling their entire involvement with the U.S. Open. A huge assignment, great client, obviously. And it's, it's, it's a client that I've, you know, I, I've never been to a single meeting with Heineken. I didn't go to the pitch. I didn't help bring them in as a client. I, you know, I'm. It, it, there's, there's a culture now within my agency where people are just really excited to work very hard, and it's because they've been empowered. Yeah. And it's because they know I'm not going to come in and, and, and sweep, swoop in and steal all the glory and put my name around it. It's, it's, a, it's a collective win for everybody. And everyone's going to benefit from the success that we have with working with such a great brand like Heineken. But, you know, I, I think because of the way that I've shared the leadership, like I like what you just said in terms of a culture of leadership, it, 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 it has proven to be so un, uncannily successful for me because people will definitely ask me, they say, Manish, how did you, how, how did you get 
the success that you had, but how did you get the client list that you had? If you look at our website, this is mkg.com, we have a client list there, and people will say, like, the clients that you have are world, you know, world-known brands. They are, you know, the best, biggest and best brands in the world, and you're an independent guy with a, you know, you had an idea, you left um, the nonprofit industry to get into marketing, which you had no background, and then within a short amount of time, you've amassed a huge um, wealth of clients and a very successful and, and, and profitable business. Then how did it happen? And I say it, it happened because of the people, yeah. you know, and I, I'm one of those people, but it didn't happen. It, it, it didn't happen for any other reason that then the people within the walls, people want to work hard. You know, that's the baseline, especially millennials. You know, I surround myself with a lot of people that are kind of in that millennial demographic. They want to work hard. They just have to have the right environment in which to work hard. And if you get them that, they'll do unbelievable work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been, a, I, I, you know, somewhat, I feel like I'm a scientist, but I, I've been trying it out, but you know, thankfully all, all my creations have proven to be pretty potent. Well, I'm, I'm, it gives me goosebumps to hear you tell that story, and, and I love finding, um, the fact that you've you've reached this point is what I'm most impressed about. It, with um, it's almost like a, it's a natural order of things, and that's what I've always kind of uh, try to argue to people that look, it's it's not you don't need to rethink the wheel, and and you're going to create. In fact, if if you think about it, the, at the heart of every significant human human achievement, you will not find one. And, and I don't care if it's going to the moon or creating Google or creating Facebook or creating anything. Every, at the heart of every significant human achievement is the leadership philosophy that that you're espousing. And I guess what's uh, I'm curious is like going back to maybe uh, part of the question is like, is this something you kind of uh, naturally fell into, or did you consciously sit there and say, I'm going to try to emulate this leadership style? Yeah, no, that's a great. Uh, that's a, 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 you know, you're, thank you for bringing that question up again. Since you did ask it, this was a this was something that was entirely kind of. Um, just felt right, I guess, right. for lack yeah. of a better term. I had, I, you know, I, I, I love the the study and the business of leadership and leadership training, and you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a student of community building. Um, but I did not necessarily. I was not following a a, a prescribed path, or was I following a prescribed mantra, if you will, from any other leadership guru? Instead, I was kind of, I was doing. I was essentially um, creating an environment and, and, and acting as a as acting as a leader, as if I was a subject. I was putting myself in the subject seat yeah, and so what right. kind of leader would I want, right. and what kind of how would I want to be spoken to, and what kind of words would I want to would I want to be hearing? How how would I be inspired? And so I'm very conscious to think about it very often. Well, how will this come across? How will this play out to to the person who is an assistant and twenty? You know, two years old or 23 years old and, and, and very new to the workforce and really understanding his or her, his or her place to, you know, the seasoned professional. Um, and so it was, was very much a, a kind of a, an accidental, if you will, um, an accidental, um, path of, towards leadership, but it's one that now I recognize the power of. Yeah, I love that. I and mean, then just, and if you're a listener of the podcast, you'll know that, that's what I always talk about. It's always everything is coming from the heart, and um, it's a fair of the heart, and you have to be passionate about people, and uh, that's definitely what you're tapped into there. And the key reason why uh, your company is doing as well as it has been. So I applaud you for uh, this kind of stumbling into this natural. But that's 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 the beauty of it. That leadership can be 
a natural thing. It isn't something that you have to, you know, obtain a position or a title. You don't have to go to some, listen to some professor, you know, espouse in some ethereal theory about leadership. There is a naturalness to it, I guess, is, is what I'm really passionate about. And, and, and I'm hearing from, from your story. So it just gets me totally. Yeah, no, up I, and I agree. And I mean, people sometimes ask you what kind of my, where, what is my training in either leadership or my training even in business or in marketing. And, you know, it's like, and, I, and no, and to, to no disrespects to all the MBAs out there and all to the, into all the business school. You know, I think that I I have been just living it and, and don't have my MBA. I mean, I have a master's degree, as I mentioned, but in a very different field. But I don't, I think that there is a, to your point, exactly, there's a naturalness, there's a understanding. I think it, it, it comes also the way you live your life. Yep. You can't be a leader in the business place if in your quote-unquote off time or in your social life you are not yep. keeping the same values. Um, you know, recognizing the same values of, that are important, um, in, in that we, 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 we can't think to be important. You know, I, I kind of say you can tell, you can tell what kind of a business person somebody is by the way they treat the waiter at a restaurant. Yeah. And yep. so, you know, I mean, I think it's a very similar, it, 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 you know, it's those kinds of little adages, I think, sometimes that will indicate, um, how somebody can have an abuse of power, how somebody can really espouse power, how somebody can develop others as opposed to, you know, take down others. And so I think that there's a naturalness that in, in leadership that sometimes might come um, with a, 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 a kind of a, a, your, your innate self. But, you know, I, I recognize that there's also some amazing and, and wonderful ways to learn learn them and study study them as well. Let's talk a little bit about the. I'm excited to hear about some of the early entrepreneurial successes that you had. I mean, I mentioned in the opening that you, you know, probably your most famous or maybe your, one of your most early big wins was becoming an event planner for Sean Combs or P. Diddy. Tell me a little bit about that, how that came about. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of my story that I think it's, you know, a very intriguing piece only because it um is somewhat so unexpected because of the way it happened. So the week the week before nine eleven, um, literally September eighth, two thousand and one, and I'd made the decision that I wanted to get into the event industry. And I you know, I knew very little about what that meant, but I was living in New York City and I felt like if I was gonna do this, this is a place to do it and, and so I kinda of started putting myself out there to to freelance to get jobs wherever I can pick up jobs, if you will. And I and I ultimately got hired, but when I say I got hired, it was more like, hey, yeah, do you want to, you know, do you want to make 10 bucks an hour and, and essentially move boxes, you know, and so it, it hired is a, it's, it's a nice way to, I was working on an event that Sean Combs, Puffy at the time, now P. Diddy, um, was, was throwing for the MTV Video Music Awards. So it was, the Video Music Awards were happening, um, during that week, um, in early September in New York City. And so at that time, I, of course, I, you know, I jumped at the chance because I was working through another company. And it was, you know, it's one of these, you know, tried and tested stories of if you have this opportunity within your, your career journey to be put into a place that you might but other ever expected you might be put into, but you can tell that it might be a defining place, this is your time to shine. And this is your time to recognize, to let the awe, let the awe stop, you know, like let the awe come off of your face and now let 
what's within your within your being just be focus and determination and fortitude and just pretend that, you know, act as if you were meant to be there, even though, you know, the, the shock and awe of being in this place might might still be, you know, somewhat, somewhat within you or, or just below the surface. But so, of course, I was like, wow, how did I even end that? And up here working on this event, but I did. And I did, um, and, they, and I continued to work on the event, literally making very little money. But for the four or five days, you know, leading up to it, worked very hard, very diligently, and met a number of people on, on Sean's team, on, 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 on Sean Combs' team. And the event went off without a hitch. It was a huge success. But again, I was not at the helm. I was not the lead producer of this event by any means. I was, you know, a member of the team. Um, but I was, you know, I, I let myself be visible in all the right ways as much as I could without overstepping. But I, you know, I also did my job. And so... I, um, and then, you know, of course, three days later, the entire world and the history of the world, in fact, um, changed, um, in, in, in many ways on 9-11. And so I was, you know, but having had the experience I'd had the week before, I had more determination and fortitude to get into the event industry than I ever did, even though I knew that the event industry was, was not going in. I mean, it was not certainly a, a, a thriving one after after the occurrence of 9/11 because no one was in the no it was in no one's headspace to throw events, brands, individuals, etc. And then in uh, November of that year, of 2001, I get a phone call, and the phone call is from Sean's office, and they say, "Hey, Manish, we want to talk to you about about um, Puffy's event. Uh, he wants to throw a New Year's Eve party in Miami." And I, of course, said, "Oh, that's that's great. Thanks." You know, so nice of you to call, but you called the wrong person because I was not, I, I, I didn't throw that event for Sean. Like I was, you know, way down on the totem pole. And they said, they said, we know who you are. We know, we know, we know the hierarchy. We liked what we saw. We want to work with you. We think you can do this. Do you want to come to Miami in two days? And I was like, again, I was, you know, the awe, shock, awe, everything was in my face. And I said, wow, um, you know, I had never been to the city of Miami before. I mean, I, it was, it was, you know, in many respects, I was, and, this, and also you have to respect, I mean, if you know anything about pop culture. In the early 2000s, Sean Combs was the consummate partier. Like, you could, you could, you could, right. you could define a party in terms of how big it was or how good it was based on what you know, Sean Puffy Combs thought about that event or something. You know, his, his, his claim is somewhat stated. In the in the years that um, passed, but in the, at that time he was on top of the game, on top of the world, um, and so I was, you know, it was. I, I so essentially, though, know, I also recognized at that point that I was a, I was new to an industry that I clearly was, you know, determined to get into, and I couldn't burn any bridges. And so I, um, you know, I called the people that, who I had worked through to tell them about this phone call I got, and so that, you know, there were some business learnings that happened along the way. But ultimately, I did do his New Year's Eve party in Miami in 2001 at the Shore Club, you know, right on in, on Miami, in Miami Beach. And then for the several for several years that um, transpired after that in the early 2000s, I never went in house and worked for him or Bad Boy Entertainment, which was the name of his his entertainment company. But I did work for them for many years, and you know, and maintain in touch with a bunch of um, people there. But I made the very you know very distinct decision. Um, that I really didn't want to be in the celebrity space necessarily or in the entertainment space or in the hip-hop space exclusively. And I thought, you know, I could be pigeonholed there, but I really wanted to be in a brand marketing space. And so I started to kind of transition out of that space and then more into the brand side of things. And I started to pick up clients that were in, 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 in 
Jim, you know, being able, and I was able to solicit and, and encourage and then ultimately convince clients, brands to hire me based on some of the previous clients that I had, but then, you know, I was somewhat new to the brand space. But then, um, you know, the, the company kind of took a turn, and we've now very focused on working with brands as opposed to celebrities. Right. Well, guys, that is a fascinating story, and, and I guess my takeaway on it is, I'm curious to see what yours is. I, what I hear from that, or the takeaway, is that um, here you are at the very beginning, you know, kind of struggling with, you know, what's your purpose and your why were you put on this earth and what were you supposed to do and kind of doing the stereotypical, this is what I thought I should be doing. I started branching out. You took a leap early, you know, pre 9 11. And again, you at least you, and you're in that space, not seeing a lot of um, rewards or kind of payback from it. You're working your butt off and an opportunity presented itself and you walk through the door. And I think that's the key that it's, it wasn't that you're the, you're a very smart guy. I don't take anything from this, but you're not necessarily the smartest guy in the room. You're not necessarily the most charismatic guy in the room, but you were willing to take the risk and you were willing to uh, provide value, even though you weren't getting anything from it early on. And that opportunity chased that value. That's that's, I guess, my takeaway from it. And I think it's great. No, I think it's a it's a it's a, it's a, um, a good way to synthesize and assess the the situation from a bird's eye view. Because again, there was a value proposition there, and I recognize I recognize the value. Certainly, was not the smartest man in the room, especially given the lack of experience that I had in that industry and in that category, even being in the entertainment community. Um, but certainly wasn't the most the smartest. Certainly wasn't the most charismatic. There's a lot of big personalities and a lot of personalities that had been in, in and around that space for much time. But I recognize that there's a value that there's a value in the opportunity, and there's a value that I could provide. And so, you know, the combination of the two and, and the juncture of the two, I should say, was really where I think I hit a nerve and I impressed people. And they, they allowed, I, I, I made myself memorable for all the right reasons without, you know, without being memorable for any of the negative reasons. And, um, ultimately, you know, that took my, took my life and my journey on, on, on a completely, um, unique and different path. Well, I love that. And I guess that kind of is a good segue to Genesis of, uh, Live in the Gray. And of course, when I was, when you guys reached out to me and, and, and talking about it, that's the first site I went to and I looked at it and instantly connected with it. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit in the pre-interview. You were asking a little bit about my story. And again, nothing compared. I haven't had, uh, Sean Combs, but, uh, or, but I did take, you know, a year and a half ago, took a risk against a lot of advisement from a lot of people close to me. Um, and decided to get back in the flying game. And uh, it's led to more things like this. It's led to the podcast. It's led me to meet great people like yourself. And um, I don't know where it's going to go, but I, I do think, uh, and let's talk about the genesis of living the gray and the purpose of it, but I feel like I am happier now that I am, as you kind of define it, living in the gray. So tell me a little bit about yeah. what that means. and tell uh, you, 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 Richard, are absolutely living in the gray, and it's, I think it's remarkable, and I get... I bounce in my step every time I talk to someone like yourself who is in the gray and living living a gray life, as I, as I say. And if you look at our logo on livingthegray.com, you'll see that there's there's no gray in our logo, and it's a very beautiful, colorful right. uh, logo because, in fact, that's very purposeful That because I think gray is one of the most colorful and beautiful ways that you go to the life. And what we mean is to, um, to, to kind of explain so the genesis and what we're doing living the gray was I recognized that I had an opportunity at after having been in, you know, built a successful company and, and, and you know, running MKG, 
not even that I had an opportunity, but I somewhat felt that I had an obligation to help inspire others. Because as I said, it goes back to my nonprofit beginning and my interest in community building, and I wanted to figure out how could I how could I leverage some of my successes to help others to find a similar path. And it's not an entrepreneurial path by any means, but really a path towards fulfillment. And that fulfillment can come from any any different way that you that that you might kind of slice it, if you will. So I decided to create something. It's a passion project, ultimately. I incubated it and thought a lot about it in 2012 and then launched it just in January of this year. And it is called Live in the Gray. And, and the whole idea is how do you blur the lines and ultimately take away the distinctions between work and play, between ultimately beginning and end, and then finally black and white. And how do you live in the middle? How do you basically um, cultivate and curate your your personal passion into your professional pursuits. So as opposed to thinking that your passions have to live outside of your profession, you know, I think we all recognize that 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 ultimately just leads to what I, you know what we all somewhat might relate to at some point in our along our journey at the Sunday night blues. And how do we not have the Sunday night blues? And how do Mondays and Fridays not feel so different? That's the way that I live my life right now, and that's the way that people at my company live their life, because we're very, I mean, MKG, my company, is is, is, a, is a prime example of living in the gray, and the people there are, and so I think that for me, personally, I'm very fueled by now helping to inspire others to get there, however that might come, and wherever that might be, um, and so that was what, that's what the site's all about right now, it's, it's really about inspiration, motivation, and edu- education around kind of finding a great space. So, you know, your passion towards flying and integrating it into your career and then allowing your your, your interest in leadership and community building in your own right as well and inspiring others, you know, and educating others. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a perfect story of, of living in the gray and, and, and how, you know, now there's opportunities for me through this website and through the company that we're starting with Living the Great to help inspire others to get to the same space. Yeah, I love it. I'm, you know, as you're sitting there and listening to what you're saying, I'm looking at your uh, about page or your philosophy page, rather, and I love it. I mean, yeah. and, and you read everything about it. That's exactly everything. Everything you could almost take that. You could put it into to every podcast that I've done to this date. Uh, the every podcast has. Uh, one of those messages or something, it's all kind of wrapped up in there. And uh, I just love it. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's fantastic. No, that, that philosophy to me, like I would, you know, if I was a tattoo man, I would get tattooed all over my body, you know? Yeah, like, no, it's like great. That, I think that, 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 that philosophy is really in all the adages there. So to your listeners, I mean, if you haven't seen the philosophy that we're speaking about, you know, look at livingthegray.com and just click right, right at the top on um, check out our philosophy. And it's basically a manifesto, if you will. Yeah. It's about how you love what you do and live what you love and how you how you really kind of are um, like focusing on relationships and like that's what we say, look your social networks in the eye and and it's really about, you know, you know, it's okay to start small but aim for bigger and you know, there's 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 these three kind of sections, if you will, off that manifesto. The first one is really about this blend, the first section, if you will, all about this blend of personal and professional and really understanding the social context that we all live in, in, including the way we all work. The second section is the power of relationships and the power of others and understanding that none of this can happen without other people. And we are, we, we are, we are a person, but 
together were so much more. Um, but then the third section are kind of the directives that, that we kind of defined in terms of go out there and do this and now go out there and get this done. And, and that, those are kind of the, we're trying to tell you, you know, be humble, be open, um, et cetera. So I mean, I think yep. that's the way, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're trying to get people out to push them out the door, so to speak. Yeah. Everything you got in there is certainly what it's all, and again, for me, leadership impacts every aspect of your life. It's not about, just business. I mean, it's everything. It's self-leadership. It's leadership with others. It's your relationships. And that's what I love about your philosophy there. I love the, the, from the entrepreneurial side, or at least the, the kind of getting things, uh, starting something. It's okay to start small, but aim for bigger. And I think I'm, I'm huge into that. I mean, for years I had limiting beliefs and I made procrastination excuses. And that's one thing I learned too, that entrepreneurs are some of the biggest procrastinators. I don't know. I didn't think that, but the more that I've learned and I've talked to some great entrepreneurs and they've all said the same thing, they had to battle that limiting belief of, of taking that first leap. And, um, and I think it's for me anyway, why I didn't start earlier on some other things or even now that I still battles because, you know, well, if it's not, you know, if I can't accomplish the big right away, then why do it at all? But I think that's, that is a terrible limiting belief. I think at least just keep the grand vision in mind, but start and do something, I guess. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. Yeah. No, I, I completely concur with that, with that mentality, with that feedback. I mean, I think that we, um, we got to start and we got to keep moving. And that I agree that entrepreneurs and leaders, even more generally, can often procrastinate. It's because we have this, we, we carry this notion of perfection over right. our heads, right. and in our, in our, in our hearts and in our minds. But, the perfection is you, you you know you don't you won't see the word perfect anywhere on that on that philosophy for living nope. great uh-uh. that, that, yeah. the, the, the two are not um, connected or are not synonymous I mean we are we are a, a, a an experiment in trial and error and um, and I think the best leaders are but you know certainly we learn from our mistakes and we we use them to power the next decision so um, <laughs> I, I do think that I'm very excited to continue to promote and um, expand on the mantra, I mean, on the philosophy to kind of really help to build, build, um, and, and showcase Live the Gray to a larger community. Is Live the Gray in, it seems like the niche is for the millennial generation, but obviously I'm well past that. But, uh, it, it, there's something there for everybody. I don't want, I don't want non-millennials to be scared away from living the gray, but is that really your niche though? So, you know, it's very interesting to say that we are very focused on millennials because I think that millennials are oftentimes one part of the community that, or one part of the professional sector and professional environment that is in most need of kind of, um, some guidance and some, um, some, some, um, inspiration, I guess. But absolutely not are we limited to them or to that because I'm not a millennial myself. You know, like I'm, I'm older than, than what the traditional um, delineation of a millennial is. So it's not, and it's certainly the way I live my life, is as we've gone, gone around the country and we've been talking about living the gray to various communities, it's been very clear that it's resonating with people at a pretty far and wide spectrum. So I would um, say that there's a perhaps a special relevance to millennials, but it's not, it's not certainly meant to only be relevant to them. But, you know, so I will say, you know, the final thing is that we sometimes do think a little bit more about millennials because ultimately they are, they do, they do play a big role in our future. And they're the future of, you know, the, the workplace, 
Um, and so I think that oftentimes you kind of think about that with an eye toward that because we focus on the positivity within millennials as opposed to a lot of the press that's out there about just how entitled and lazy, et cetera, they are, because we actually see another side of the equation. I'm with you on that. I, and I've had a couple conversations with some um, fairly gray beard CEOs, even guys that have kind of, you know, retired and done some great things in the corporate world, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And they're, you know, involved in other things. And we've had a couple of great conversations about millennials and I'm with them and they, they all see the same thing that, you know, there's, and if, I'll even go back. I was kind of in a funk even after, you know, if you, if, if you keep yourself isolated and you just watch, you know, mainstream TV, um, you go to your same two or three websites that you had like I was and you get in a funk because it's, it's not positive. It's not energetic. It's the same old bland, boring kind of propaganda, if you will. And I don't, and I don't care what political yeah, spectrum right. side you're on. But when I started tapping into kind of checking out of that and tapping into a whole, different arena and talking to folks like yourself, entrepreneurs and other things. It's very invigorating, very energizing because there are a lot of people out there that aren't getting recognized that are knocking out of the park and they're doing great positive things for society, for themselves, for other people. And uh, that's what excites me about stuff like you're doing and what uh, there's a whole entrepreneurial culture out there that I think is uh, not, I mean, I think in this space, people understand it and see it, but for the general, people don't see it. And I think that it seems to me like, and maybe I'm just because I'm, I'm new to this and getting surrounded by this, but it seems to me like there is a entrepreneurial spirit that's getting re-energized that necessarily wasn't there in Gen X and Gen Y. So what do you think about that? No, I, I agree. I think that there's a, there, I, I think it has a lot to do with social media and, and everything's been opened up. In a way that you, you know more about people, you know more about their past, past you know more about um, the opportunities that exist out there in ways that I don't think, um, you know, the, 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 if you think of the, the world as being an onion, it's all been peeled back. And I think that because of that, there's an entrepreneurial spirit that exists within this generation, or the millennial generation, that didn't in an earlier one. Yeah. That it was a little bit, it had to be a little bit more innate, or it had to be, there had to be other factors that would promote it or espouse it, and now it's it, 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 it's innate. It, it, it's there, and so I think that it's really powerful. Yeah. Well, gosh, Manish, I'm so excited to have met you. Um, I love what you're doing. Uh, give a quick plug out to where people can can find you. I'll have links to this on my website too when I get the post up. But give a yeah, shout out. Yeah, but please, I mean, yeah, for for both, you know, as as we had this, you know, about an amazing conversation, I'm I'm feeling really excited for it. So thank you for it. But I, you know, as I said, the two companies that I'm, that I'm, you know, very proudly um, at the helm of are MKG, which is on online at thisismkg.com, T-H-I-S-I-S-M-K-G.com. And then the other one, of course, is livingthegray.com. And we spell gray, G-R-E-Y.com. Um, although, if you go to G-R-A-Y, livingthegray, that way it'll redirect to the, to, to the site. Um, so, you know, either... Either way, look for, I mean, either through MKG or, or Living Gray, I, I hope to, um, you know, connect with your listeners and um, and meet more amazing um, leaders as, as all of our journeys unfold. Well, Manish, keep doing what you're doing. Like I said, you've tapped into something. Uh, keep that philosophy growing. I think, you know, even more great things are going to happen uh, with you. And, again, thanks for coming on the show. And we'll definitely have to have you come back. I've, I'm starting a um, 
kind of themed podcast. So maybe that's something if you're interested in, maybe behind the scenes we can think of a certain theme you'd like to talk about and we can spend 30 minutes talking about a specific theme. Um, but I'm doing that with some of my guests now. So I'd love to have you back and talk about something. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Right on. Okay, Manish, uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.